This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Okay. Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome back to Death by Southwest, the podcast where each week I share a different grisly murder story unique to the Southwest while my sister and co-host tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. I'm your host, Margo. And I'm Jenna. And today, in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month, we are covering a story from Mexico, which is not the American Southwest, but it's definitely the Southwest in the world. Well, and Death by Southwest doesn't say Death by American Southwest. That's true. That's true. So in the early 2000s, Mexico City was gripped by a terrifying wave of murders that left its residents living in constant fear. With each victim, fear escalated, and the media speculated that they may be facing Mexico City's first ever serial killer. As the police grappled with a faltering investigation and the body count continued to grow, Residents wondered if this elusive killer would ever be brought to justice. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Serial killer. We looked that up, or like we talked about that in another one. Isn't it just like more than one, two? One? More than one or two victims. Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but yes. So I think we've been doing a pretty good job of not... Well, honestly, the last episode was almost an hour and a half and the sense of place intro was like 22 minutes and we were concise, Mm -hmm. but I think we just had a lot for some reason to talk about, but I think we've done a good job of not, you know, spending so much time talking about um, DMs or reviews and things like that, which I'd like, you know, I want to save for the bonus. Of course, I haven't done a good job of talking about it in the bonus either, but I did but no, I was going to share, I was going to share something from Patreon. I think I will save it for bonus. I think I will save it for bonus. Yeah. I think I will. I will take it back and save because it for bonus. Who, like, it's not like you're not acknowledging the people who are giving feedback or Patreon people. Right. It's just not in the main episode. Yeah. I, I agree. think that's actually better. I, do I didn't too. really think about it till yeah. now. Yeah. So I'm going to, I was going to share, we're going to do it in the bonus because we have gotten some good feedback and some uh, cool ideas from listeners lately. So we're just going to jump into our sense of place and we're going to talk about Mexico City. (laughs) 
And I didn't know this. Mexico City is often referred to as Ciudad de Mexico. There you yeah, go. I sound like an asshole. Or Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep that. I just do. <laughs> CDMX is the acronym for it. Well, that would I make guess. sense. Yeah. Ciudad that would make Mexico. sense. <laughs> Jesus. C-D. Oh, Ciudad de Mexico. Yeah. So MX Mexico. Yeah. That makes sense. It's the capital and largest city of Mexico. It's one of the most populous cities in the world and has a lot of historical, cultural, and economic significance. It's located in the Valley of Mexico, a high altitude basin surrounded by mountains and volcanoes and situated in the central part of the country. It was originally built by the Aztecs on an island in the middle of Lake Texcoco. It was called Tenochtitlan. Tenochtitlan, and was the capital of the Aztec Empire until the Spanish conquest in 1521. It's a mix of ancient and modern cultures, has historic sites, museums, art galleries, etc. I bet ruins. Tons of ruins, yep. The Plaza de la Constitución is the central square of the city and surrounded by historic buildings. Um, there's pyramids and archaeological ruins located just around the outside of the city. There's a massive urban park, which has a castle, museums, a zoo, and gardens called Chapultepec Park. There's going to be many things I say incorrectly in this episode, so I'm just going to say that ahead of time. What did you call that? A uh, something park? A city park? Urban park. I like that name, yeah. Frida Kahlo's oh my- famous artist. There's a Frida Kahlo museum there called Casa Azul. It's the former home of the famous artist, and now it's a museum that exhibits her life and works. And there's Xochimilco, which is known for its network of canals and colorful traditional boats. Um, It's a major economic hub, finance, manufacturing, technology, entertainment, tourism, commerce, um, home to numerous multinational corporations. Of course, I don't have any examples of those. Has a extensive public transportation system with a metro, buses, light rail, um, there's a lot of traffic in the city, which I feel like is pretty common of most cities. Yeah, uh, It's renowned for its diverse and delicious culinary offerings. Street food is one of the biggest highlights with tacos, tamales, tortas, and other regional specialties. Have you ever had a torta? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> say that again. <laughs> yes, I have. It's like a Mexican sandwich. Yes. Yum. And you know what I also have had that I love that reminds me of a torta, a papusa? Which is oh, I that's think, like just Argentinian, it, maybe. It's it reminds me of um, what it what was Mama Lama's here in Tucson a an empanada. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's like a soft yeah, empanada. It's like an uh, the version of an Italian stromboli. Right. Wow. We are really taking this food thing down the and then papusa reminds me, maybe it isn't Argentinian. An arepa oh. is similar to a papusa. Maybe that's Argentinian. I can't remember. Well, it's on the list, so I'm sure you guys somebody tune will tune in next us. time. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to also talk about crime, since this is true crime, crime in Mexico City. And then I have some really interesting facts also. So Mexico City does have a relatively high crime rate. Now, I'll be honest, I researched this. There's so much conflicting information about crime rates. Like one website will tell you, like, oh, it's the worst with the highest crime rate. And then another one will say, oh, it's actually kind of low compared to here. So bear with me because I took this from several different 
uh, sites, but it has a relatively high crime rate, but still lower than other parts of the country. And it's even lower than some cities in the United States. In 2021, Mexico City had a crime rate of about 46%, which means that there were 45,336 crimes per 100,000 people. That's a lot. 45, that's almost half. Right. So almost half of the people have been in, have had, have dealt with crime of some kind. It's been the mean, victim of a crime? Yes. It doesn't okay. mean violent. It could be a burglary. Oh, sure. It could be uh, a you know, a house petty crime, a, yeah, a petty exactly. crime, a vandalism. Sure. But still that's almost 50% of people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then, then I also read that Mexico city has a lower homicide rate than several U S cities like Baltimore or St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And in 2021, it even had a lower rate than Dallas and Portland, both of which have suffered a spike in homicides in 2021, which mm. is, I mean, I think, I mean, I think of Portland as, I don't know why. I've been there once 15 years ago, and I think of it as, like, super safe. You were recently there, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Did it feel super safe, or no, it did not? Well, I had been there, I was only there for, like, 24 hours a month ago, yeah. and I had been there the weekend before, the first time I went there was the weekend before everything shut down for COVID, like, mid-March. That's right. And I had spent three or four days with a girlfriend of mine, and I loved it, and also... I felt like it, when I got home, I was like, well, it was awesome. I loved it. But also things were really shifting in that last day or two because things were shutting down, mm. but people weren't fully being on it. Not like people, but certain like this bookstore there. That's really awesome. They were closing early and they just said because of some other reason. It was COVID now right, that I look right. back. Um, just like many of the cities I've been to in the past three years since COVID. And I don't Different. know if it's related. There, there's far more people who are unhoused, and uh, I'm not saying. I mean, of course that must contribute in some way, of course right? It does. Absolutely. So yeah. So Portland felt a little bit iffy. Iffy. Okay. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Iffy. Still beautiful, but iffy. And that's so interesting because if someone asked me just out of the blue. What do you think has more crime, Portland or Mexico City? I would immediately say Mexico City. Yeah, I probably would have too. I've also heard in the news, and who knows, you know, who knows what's true and what's not, but like so many times that Mexico City is very dangerous. Do not go there. Travel. Really? I haven't heard. Warnings and things like that. Yeah. Um, It looks beautiful. I've never been, but it does look beautiful. I've seen pictures. According to the UNHCR, which stands for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, uh, it's a United Nations agency mandated to aid and protect refugees. Um, so according to them, Mexico has a murder rate of 16.9 per 100,000 inhabitants, making it the 15th highest in the world and seven. Seven times higher than that of the United States. Can you say that? 16.9 per 100,000? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, in 2019, Mexico City had a total of 2,200 homicides. And in comparison, New York City only had 289 homicides. So Mexico City had almost 2,000 more homicides in one year. And I, I'm guessing that they picked New York City because they're, they are similar in population. Oh. Yeah. Uh, in 2021... Mexico City was estimated to have about 21 million people. 
and New, wow. New York City, um, the the metropolitan statistical area, which includes a little bit Burroughs. of New Jersey, Long Island, yeah. you know, all that, about eighteen point eight million people. Wow, Mexico City is populated. Populated more than New York. But not that much more no. where it would justify like, two thousand additional murders. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, twenty one million to eighteen million, of course it's a couple million, but when you're talking that many people, I feel like yeah. maybe a couple hundred more murders, not two thousand. Oh, I wonder why that is. Well, look up list later. Mm-hmm. Uh and the American Development Bank estimated that in 2018, approximately 5.5 million people were victims of some form of violent crime. It's a lot. Again, I, I don't even have a clear picture. It, that, that homicide rate compared to New York makes me think much more unsafe. But then when you're just talking about crime in general, it sounds like, I mean, it's, you know, these statistics say that it has less crime than Portland. But to me... Um, you know, a, a vandalism. Eh, a right. Murder. And you can't suss that out with right. the statistics. But right. it also makes me think about the the funding for the police department down there or whatever it's called. I mean, I want to say the federales. But that must, I imagine that's a factor. They have less whatever I'm trying to say. I don't know. So the federales, they have less funding, thus less less employees you know police officers whatever they're called in mexico city and and then there i'm sure there's other factors more drugs yeah i mean i i don't know why though i actually it's not on the border yeah i don't want to speculate that because i don't know why actually so we're just we're just thinking yeah thinking out loud and painting a picture that mexico city does have a lot of murders so i have some interesting facts and I, I wanted to make them trivia, but I don't really know how to because I don't think that either of us, I know we've both been to Mexico. I don't think either of us are like that well-versed on Mexico. I don't want to speak for you. Do you consider yourself to be well-versed on Mexico? Well, saying I've been to Mexico is like, like sure, I've been to different parts of Mexico. I've never been in inland, central Mexico, mm-hmm. Mexico City, none of it. So it'd be like, well, I've been to, I've been to Maine. If we're talking about Arizona, kind of, right? Like, it's a, its own country with lots of different parts. Um, the only thing, I don't, I've seen pictures. It looks beautiful and historic. Sure, I've heard about crime. The only thing that sticks in my mind that I heard, and I don't even know if it's true about Mexico City, is about the um, pollution. Oh, I didn't even read anything about that. Okay, yeah. Well, it's not that, I mean, wow, it's you, very important, but... I, it's not important to the story. You know the one place in Mexico we went with mom and dad? Do you remember what it was called? Because I do. Um, yeah. Um, via, uh, Playa del Carmen? Close. Mom and dad went there a lot. We went to Puerto Morales. Yeah. I didn't realize this is where it was. Look, on the map. It's all... Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't. I thought... I don't know where I thought it was. Maybe here or something. I had no the idea. The Yucatan there. Peninsula. There's yep. Mexico City. Yeah, I saw... I. When I, you had said we're doing the story from Mexico City, I just looked, I wanted to see where it was exactly. It's pretty low. It's pretty down in there. Mexico's a big country mm. and it automatically tells me on my phone, it takes however long from Tucson to fly to wherever I'm looking up. Oh. Five and a half hours. Wow. Isn't that crazy? To Mexico City? That's basically, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, yeah, to like where you used to live in Georgia. Yeah. It was five four, hours, four, four and a half. Hours. Yeah. Okay. So some interesting facts. If I can make them trivia, I will. But okay, I can make this one trivia actually. So Mexico City is situated somewhere that makes it very prone to a natural disaster. What what do you think that might be? What natural disaster? A volcano eruption. God, it's a great guess. Well, and it's inland. Don't tell me the answer yet. Because okay. you said there's volcanoes. So mm-hmm. that was my first guess. Really good guess. You were listening well. Um, I know it's not a tsunami because it's not on the water. I know it's, or I think I know it's not a tornado because it's got mountains. Right. This is good deduction. Oh, earthquake. Yes. Uh, Yes, it's situated in a seismically active zone, making it highly prone to earthquakes. It has faced devastating earthquakes in history, including a major quake in 1985 that caused significant damage and loss of life. Yep. Which I don't like that. I don't want to be in any earthquake. I mean, no, I don't want to be in any natural disaster, but... If you had to pick one natural disaster to be in... Um, so what is it? Tornado, earthquake, tsunami, hurricane, hurricane. Let's say those main four. I'm sure there could be other classified ones. Earthquake. <sighs> yeah, that's hard. I don't know. I got none. I got uh, the water ones really freak me out. Like the, the tsunami. tsunami. Forget it. No, absolutely not. Wait, volcano, earthquake, hurricane, tsunami, tornado. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, five. I mean, volcano, I guess, but I mean, yeah, that's. Have you ever seen the movie with Helen Hunt and what's his face? No. Dante's Fire? No. Oh, yeah. Should I see that? (laughs) If you like natural disaster movies. I really enjoy watching, um, like, I have not watched that movie that you said Tom Holland's in, the, the, what is it called? Uh, The, I know, I was, I want to say The Unexpected, but that's not it. The Incredible, the something like the incredibles it's not that it's not but it's something like the unforgettable the oh my god oh, damn it <laughs> it's good you just told it's me it's really good especially even if you don't watch the whole movie i know but it's on oh thank you the impossible great movie yes not the whole i mean it's tough to watch also what about the perfect storm george clooney that's a rogue wave, not That's a tsunami, a but a great... Okay, so anyways, we're getting off track. We are. Okay. You know one of my favorite holidays that Mexico City celebrates? Dia de los Muertos. Yes, the Day of the Dead, a traditional Mexican holiday which honors deceased loved ones, marked by vibrant parades, colorful altars, and lively celebrations. And I love Day of the Dead. Tucson has a huge Day of the Dead. They have but a like, huge Day of the Dead celebration. I... One, I didn't know you love it. I know you love I Halloween. I love it. But why don't we ever go to the Day of the Dead parade? Oh, I would love to this year. I looked it up. I would love to this year. They, I, I just love the um, the, the aesthetic the, of it. And the what's behind the it. The skeletons. Yeah. I love that, that they're honoring the dead at, with this big celebration. I just, I really enjoy everything about it. I oh, think it's, it's really so cool. Fascinating yeah. and so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Really. Sugar skulls. Oh my gosh. Do you know really that's what cool. our local... Minor league football team is called the Sugar Skulls. Really? Yeah. That's a cool name. I did not know that. Mexico City is an artistic hub, has a thriving art scene with numerous galleries, museums, and tons of street art. The Palacio de Bellas Artes is a significant cultural venue showcasing Mexican art. 
Mexico City is called a megalopolis. A megalopolis? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It's one of the largest cities in the world by both population and land area. The metropolitan area known as Greater Mexico City is home to over 21 million people, making it one of the most populous urban areas in the entire globe. Well, I was surprised here it had more than Manhattan, than New York City, whatever. Yeah, than all of New York City. New York City metropolitan. That's crazy. Uh Megalopolis. Yeah, megalopolis. I would like to know more about that because we've talked about a... We've talked about something like Dallas, Fort Worth, or... Sisters. No, that's wrong. We talked about that too, but that's something else. But we talked a Metroplex or something like that, maybe. So I'd be interested to know more about Megalopolis, but trying to stay concise and just give an overview. who doesn't love to say that word? Megalopolis. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to call this episode Megalopolis. Yeah, you should. That's awesome. (laughs) It's a great word. I love that word. Um, There's something called the Floating Gardens of Hochimilco. Hochimilco is a neighborhood, or Xochimilco, probably. Um, you of, mentioned that earlier because I wrote it down. I yeah. can't remember what it is. And it's spelled, so I only, and I may still be pronouncing it wrong, but like one of the uh, one of my students' sisters in Atlanta, her name was Sochi, and, and it was, I'd never heard that name before, and the way she spelled it was X-O-C-H-I-L-T. Yeah, that feels like from the, like it's Aztec origin or something. Yeah, Sochi. And I would have never known how to pronounce that name when I first saw it. And I'd never heard it before. But so this is X-O-C-H-I. And continue. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's Sochi Mil- Milco. Mm-hmm. It's a neighborhood in Mexico City. It's famous for its ancient network of canals and artificial islands called Chinampas. Visitors can take colorful boat rides in these canals and experience a unique cultural attraction. You're going to get so many comments about how we're pronouncing shit. I know. Which, of course, please do. Yeah. We're trying our best. I don't speak Spanish, so I'm going to mispronounce a lot of this, and I'm going to continue to do the best I can. I feel like it's better to just go for it than to be like, well, how do I? Because people have commented. It's so annoying when they can't say a word, and we talk about it like, how do you say And here it? we do. Here we go. <laughs> I know. But like, I, so I'm just going to no, go I for appreciate it that. and not like labor. Or think you know, well, Yes, exactly. And so just I, I wanted to, because I did pick this one because I noticed that it is Hispanic Heritage Month and I r- truthfully didn't know much about it. So I thought I would just share a couple of quick things before we get into the episode. What are the dates of... Yeah, that's interesting, though. You should tell the dates. Yeah, it's a month-long celebration that honors the contributions and culture of Hispanic and Latino Americans. It runs from September 15th to October 15th, which is interesting. But September 15th is the anniversary of the independence for several Latin American countries, including Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua. And so it was initially uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. Wow. Hispanic Heritage Month was initially established as a week-long celebration in 1968 by President Lyndon B. Johnson and was later expanded to a month by President Ronald Reagan in 1988. Thanks, Reagan. Yep. And so the dates were chosen specifically to encompass that independence anniversary and then as well as Columbus Day, Dia de la Raza, on October 12th. I don't know why, though. Yeah, mixed feelings on Columbus, I take it. Well, yeah, but no, I'm just trying to think of, I mean... Why he's relevant to, or why... No, no, I know uh, why, but uh, uh, people have, I don't know if it's official, but people don't call it Columbus Day, they called it, they call it now, I believe, Indigenous People's People's Day. Day. I think, is that right? Yeah? I'm not sure. Okay, well, you can cut that then. No. 
No, I mean, like, that might be true. I don't know. The purpose of Hispanic Heritage Month is to recognize and celebrate the rich history, culture, and contributions of the Hispanic and Latino Americans to the United States. Uh, it's a time to appreciate diverse backgrounds, traditions, and achievements of the Hispanic community. Uh, there's lots of festivals, exhibitions, music and dance, you know, all over everywhere in the country. Uh, this was interesting. It, so it, it celebrates the diverse heritage and ancestry of Hispanic people, including those with roots in Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, Central America, and South America. Well, that's what I was going to say. Or You already said it. Of It's not just, of course, Mexico. Oh, yeah. No, right, absolutely right. not. No. And, and I mean, everything else that I have on here kind of says the same thing, that it's... Uh, it's to honor the culture, the contributions that the, that culture has made to our country, as well as just in general, um, celebrating and appreciating different communities that here in the United States. So that's why I chose this. Well, this is a fascinating story to me, and it just seemed fitting. And we've never done one in Mexico, and this seemed like, why not do it now? Dun, dun, dun. Don't miss what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to the redo. <laughs> yes. Uh, so you just listened to The Sense of Place with myself and Jenna. And if you follow us on social media, you may have seen that we had a technical difficulty while we were recording today's episode. And we lost about half of the episode, the first half of the episode. So, unfortunately, Jenna heard the whole story, though. So it didn't make much sense to try and re-record it with her. It would be kind of inauthentic since she already knew what was going to happen. So Mark has very kindly offered to sit in and let me tell him the story for now the second time for me, but first time for you. That's awesome. Thanks for being here, Mark. You're welcome. I like a new story. <laughs> um, and for anybody who is interested in hearing what me and Jenna did that actually got recorded, which is a good chunk, 
that will be available on our Patreon. So, yeah. Should we get into the story? Yeah, you should name, name this one The Dog Ate My Homework. <laughs> now, you know, you know what this one is going to be named is Murder in the Megalopolis. Because Mexico City is called a megalopolis. And me and Jenna both enjoyed saying that word in the sense of place. Megalopolis? Uh-huh. <laughs> kind of sounds like a Batman-like city, <laughs> you know? It does. All right. Let's jump into this story that is a little bit different format than usual. Usually, you may or may not know this, but usually when we do these, we either start with kind of a deep dive into either the victim or victims or the murderer or suspected murderer. But we're not going to do that with this one. We're going to kind of... Just creak into it. (laughs) We're going to kind of... Reverse it, and I'm just going to start telling you a story about Mexico City in the early 2000s. Let's do it. So in the early 2000s, the brutal murders of elderly women in Mexico City were on the rise. But in 2003, that number skyrocketed. That year alone, 17 elderly women were murdered by strangulation, asphyxiation, using various objects. Tights, belts, wire, and stethoscopes, to name a few. That's a lot of random things. A lot of random things. That's also a lot of elderly women to be murdered in one year in one city, in like a concentrated kind of area. Yeah, it seems kind of weird. So all the victims were women 60 years old or older who lived alone, and most of them were grandmothers. They were... All strangled to some degree. A lot of them were bludgeoned first and then strangled. Um, And once they were dead, their homes were robbed. And police also reported that there was evidence of uh, some type of abuse in a number of the cases. And I don't know if that's sexual abuse or just um, post-mortem beating of these women. But some of them were pretty beat up. Yeah, or that. Yeah, I don't know. And with each additional grandmother that was murdered, and do you know what they call grandmothers in Spanish? I do not. You don't? Somewhat. I don't want to say it wrong. Abuela. Abuela? Or abuelita. Abuelitas. Little grandmother. Uh, So, and that's what we're going to call them in this episode. So, as... It seems crazy to murder an abuelita. It does. And as more and more abuelas or abuelitas uh, were being murdered the people of Mexico City were growing more and more furious at at the fact that these this population of people these elderly women specifically were being murdered because and that was really interesting to me because there was there were almost 14,000 murders in Mexico in 1998 I mean that's a different year but it was hard to find statistics specifically on 2003 basically there's a lot of murders that occur in Mexico and in Mexico City. We talked, me and Jenna talked about that a little bit, I think, in the I intro. I know, but you have like the cartels and stuff like that. So it's like, that kind of right. makes sense. Like little old Mexican grandmothers. Like I know some little old Mexican grandmothers and they cook great. They're wonderful people. It's like, you don't That's, really like, like, let me feed you. Not goes, let me strangle you. They're not you know? usually the, the, the focus of murders, basically. And there's a reason for that because... In Mexican culture and in Mexico, 
abuelas are very, very treasured. They are they play a, a pivotal role in preserving traditions, uh, passing down wisdom, fostering family bonds, passing down culinary traditions and family recipes. And they're kind of seen as like the heart of the family. Uh, and actually, they they're so treasured. You know, they I feel like that not I feel like they do treat their elderly people in Mexico very differently than we do here. Well, yeah, I mean, like, American culture is a little bit different. You don't have a lot of, like, grandmothers that come live with the family. Right. You know, I mean, some of my family have done that in the past, but it's, you Not know, typical. Yeah, but in a lot of cultures, it's like, once you become a certain age, it's like, you're there. You, you know Yeah, I mean? you come and live with the, with the like, nuclear, nuclear Nuclear family? <laughs> I mean, like if you're like a baby boomer. No, or there's a. It's either nucle- nuclear or nuclear, and I think it's nuclear. We're gonna get so many comments on that. But like the main, the main, exactly the, same. the main family. That one of those words is correct. And I don't know right now. People hate it when we say things incorrectly. We get a lot of comments about that. I'm just an innocent bystander. You know? <laughs> so, in I mean, elderly people. If we're gonna be truthful in American culture, they're kind of. Not everyone, not all the time, but kind of throwaways. Like, it's like, what are we, oh, let's put them in a nursing home. What are we going to do? It's like you have to deal with your grandmother or great-grandmother or grandfather. You know, that's a lot of times how it's, at least it seems in this culture. And that's, it's completely not like that in Mexican culture. I wonder if it's because, like, maybe the American rate of survival is, like, less I don't know. Like, no, I just think that that's just, I think that's just a cultural difference. I mean, I said no, like I know for sure. I don't, but I don't. That seemed like a for sure. <laughs> I don't think that's it. I think that just Mexican culture puts a, a high value on respecting their elders and their experiences. And they they want to keep them as part of the family and keep them close to the family to, so that they can teach the children and the children's children and all of that. And I think it's a very lovely tradition actually. I mean, I always enjoyed with my grandmothers, grandfathers, like learning from them. Yeah, you, that's true. You talk, I mean, they didn't live with you, but you have told me a lot of stories about your um, grandfather and grandmother actually. And my great grandfather, Pop. Yeah. yeah. He was I, like 97, 98 when he died. But That's when old. I was a little kid, he was, he lived with my grandmother. You know what I mean? His daughter. His daughter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah that's nice. And, uh, you know, go over and visit and stuff. And like, he had no teeth. So he had this old pocket knife and he always had an apple. Every, every day he looked at an apple. So I would sit on his lap and he would like take the skin off because he had dentures. He couldn't eat the skin. <laughs> so he just like peel the skin off like meticulously and I'd eat that. I'm like, yum. And then I, he'd eat the whole apple and I'd get like one bite. Mm-hmm. It's funny because his, his daughter was the same way. She made this like oyster soup with like this butter broth. And like my, my folks both like not really seafood lovers, which is, I mean, dad, my dad grew up in Wilcox. My mom grew up in Delaware, which is like, yeah, she was kind of a, like a seafoodie over there. And like it's seafoodie over there. Well, you know yeah, what I mean? I know, like, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But she would make it, and I, like, loved it, but she'd always, like, make it just, like, one little batch for herself because no one else liked to eat it except for me. And then she'd eat the whole bowl, and she'd save one little spoonful with one little oyster, and i get that. 
So I watch her cook it, watch her eat it, and I'm all kind of that one little thing. And I was like, no. <laughs> Your family really just gave you, uh, just give you like the last scraps of I just, food. I just, I just, just grew up on morsels, you know. <laughs> no, just the older people that I are understand. teaching me a lesson. It's like, hey, I make all this shit, you know, try to eat it. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's a lovely story. Lovely stories. Thank you. And um, I, there's there. I think that we've kind of covered the reasons why abuelas are so the that the Mexican cultures has a greater respect for their elderly, and they're seen as these wise people who pass down stories and culinary traditions and cultural traditions, and they're not seen as a burden like I feel like elderly people are here. And um, Laura Waldenberg is a documentary producer who made a documentary about this story today and she said grandmothers are the most fragile most vulnerable members of society when grandmothers started being killed the society was deeply affected the murders these murders generated much more outrage than other killings in the country which makes sense based on everything we said yeah obviously you know like like i said mexico's a lot of cartel killings like Mm -hmm. you know a couple like normal age adults like get into a gun battle at the gas station you're like yeah okay like it's it's concerning right. but you're not like holy shit like it's not like like numerous numerous elderly grandmothers who live yeah. alone and are very vulnerable are being murdered so moral of that whole intro is that the people of Mexico City were very upset and very concerned uh the press started speculating about the possibility of a serial killer in Mexico City which only intensified how angry the people, the residents of Mexico City were because they had never had a an official serial killer ever. Now, I did a little bit of digging and there are people who murdered more than one person, which is all that you need to be considered a serial killer. Me and Jen have talked about that before. And, but the police really never investigated it and the police these various cases over the years where one person murdered or was suspected of murdering multiple people. Police would never call it a serial killer, never refer to it as a serial killer investigation. And honestly, the investigations into all of these serial killers, I'm saying that with air quotes, were pretty light investigations. So this, the public is saying this like this is a serial killer. We have to call this a serial killer, and they yeah won't. because the, like the motive behind it, it's weird. You know, like back in the seventies and sixties, you know, the mob. You know, you have like hitmen, which I are do know. which are just mass murderers. Like they're killers. You know, what I mean, they kill whoever, whenever. Right. They're called to do it. You know, just like the cartel, they do it, but they're not. They don't have like a particular nature of they're just brutal people, but they're it's not kind of, like it's kind of honestly their job almost. A hitman, yeah, that's their job. I mean, the cartel, they're, that's they're their obviously, occupation. They're obviously morals are hugely compromised. Sure, but it is but different it's, than it's, just a random it's person. It's different than like you're yes. just like, Oh, I'm targeting, you know Right. So people in their thirties of a certain ethnicity and age. Right. And I just murder them in a particular way. Right, exactly. And that's what this was. So that's why the press was speculating that this would be Mexico's, Mexico's, not just Mexico City, Mexico's first confirmed serial killer. And the press and the public uh, named this serial killer and uh, El Mataviejitas. Mataviejitas? Mataviejitas, which means the old lady killer. Now, if you'll notice, they named it El 
not law. <laughs> I think that's I right. think you're wrong. No, that's L is masculine. And yeah, la mata viejita, I think, is the feminine. I'm sure we'll get comments on that as well. But either way, it was that is correct. It was el mata viejitas, which indicates that it's a man. They're just assuming it's a man at this point, and why not? Which most serial killers are. That's absolutely right. And 99% of them are white. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, not in this case, whether it's a man or a woman, it's not going to be a white person, likely. I guess well, it could. In Mexico? <laughs> kind of I guess it could be, bit. but... Uh, so the city was living in fear. Uh, grandchildren were terrified for Besides their Besides the cartels and shit. Yes, the cartel was not living in fear. But grandchildren were terrified for their grandmother's safety. Police cars were out on patrol far more than usual in greater numbers. The policia. The policia, federali. The federalis. Right. They used to have them in Rocky Point. You don't want to mess with the federalis. Yeah. One woman interviewed on the street by a local reporter said, I am literally scared of everyone. So, based on this fear that was plaguing the city, police were beginning to feel immense pressure to find and arrest the person responsible for these crimes. But this was unfortunately a bit more complicated due to several different things. Several things. Several. Can I interject real quick about like serial killers and why it's so con- I think so concerning for people cuz if you have you know, if you have a high crime area like, uh, you know, like there's some carjackings or there's like some gas station robbers. Like, yeah, it's also like it's disconcerting and uncomfortable to deal with that. But knowing that there's someone out there that's particularly targeting, you know, a certain group of people, a certain group of people. Of it's course. So scary because like you're like because their motivation is just craziness, you know, or I mean, well, yeah. it's also like an what would you say? Psychopath or a. A psychopath or, or a, a sociopath. A sociopath. Yes, we talked. When did we talk about that? Didn't we talk about that on a recent? You, we did. You and me talked about that yeah. on a bonus episode recently. Anyways, yes, I agree. And when it's a very vulnerable population of people that are being targeted, that's even more concerning. You know, like um, Dahmer, he targeted mostly men, young men, and if you know, generalization here, but young men are probably more um, capable of defending themselves. Well, he targeted young gay black men. Fine, I know, but still. And he lived in the neighborhood and the cops like, oh, oh, okay. But they're still more capable of defending themselves than a 80-year-old elderly woman living alone. So, and obviously. I'm very interested to hear who the killer is. Well, if, if you stop talking, I'll get there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this was a conversational thing. No, it is. It I'll is. just shut up and sit quietly. I mean, at least I could have some popcorn or something. So, the things that made it more complicated. The Mexico City police were using two profiles of this killer, and they kind of contradicted each other at times. So, the first profile that they were using was a physical one based on eyewitness accounts. And, you know, if you've watched Law & Order like ever... You know boom, 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 boom. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is all doom. <laughs> you know that eyewitness accounts are pretty unreliable. Nonetheless, they were using, uh, based on eyewitness accounts, and I don't really know more than that, um, did they see somebody leaving a place or in the area of a place? You know, I'm not sure exactly. Suspects. Right. So they had a description from eyewitnesses that said the killer 
was a man dressed as a woman or a robust woman dressed in white or red uh, between 5'6 and 5'7 with a robust complexion, light brown oval face, wide cheeks, blonde hair, delineated eyebrows, and approximately 45 years old, which is a very specific description. Yeah, no shit. Like, that's very, very specific. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. So based on this description, police had a composite sketch drawn up, and they put this on their uh the back windows of their police cars and they would patrol the city with this displayed back there. That's how much, you know, think about in like New York or LA, uh, you couldn't, a police officer couldn't put like a composite sketch of one person on their back. There's so many people that are wanted that are being looked for, but they have to drive one of those like billboard trucks. (laughs) I'm also doing police work. (laughs) So, but this, that's how much, how focused the Mexico city police were on this, case and on finding this killer um they so they also used a psychological profile that was developed by the mexican department of justice uh who studied a bunch of serial killer cases in in, america no in france and spain that targeted elderly women and so they used that to kind of create a profile for this potential killer or killer, but potential serial killer. They still weren't willing to call it a serial killer yet. You know that show Mindhunter is like the beginnings of like serial killers, like mm-hmm. how they developed them? You've watched it, right? I have. I like that show. It's a good show. All right, yep. continue on. So this profile, um, it didn't necessarily conflict with the physical one, but it was slightly different. It stated that the killer was a man with homosexual preferences, a victim of childhood abuse, who likely grew up surrounded by women, and he could have had a grandmother or lived with an elderly person and had resentment towards them for one reason or another and was also highly intelligent. I don't understand. I'm not a profiler, so I don't know, but I don't necessarily understand how you can look at these killings and determine somebody's sexual preference from that. I don't really know. I have no maybe idea. it's just because of the description of the person, like maybe a man dresses a woman or a woman that looks manly yes but so they're assuming that's right that's but that's it you're assuming a man can like to cross dress and he can dress as a woman it does not mean he's homosexual like one kind of often doesn't have much to do with the other truthfully yeah i mean that's but yes that is an assumption that they may have been making um so in addition to these two two profiles from eyewitnesses in the department of justice bernando Bernardo Batiz, the chief prosecutor in Mexico City, also profiled the killer as having a brilliant mind, being extremely clever and very careful. He suspected that the killer was posing as a social worker or home health aide to gain access to their victims' homes. So this was really all they had to go on. There was no physical evidence that was being left at the scenes. And this was 2003, so it was... You know, I mean, they had all the shit like DNA and all that stuff, right? Like, I mean, mm. somewhere around that. But I mean, if there's no it certainly finger- wasn't as advanced as now. Well, yeah, but I mean, if there's no fingerprints and like 
obviously like well there were fingerprints okay well let's get into that in a second okay but also too like i could imagine a struggle with an elderly woman is much less intense than the struggle with like the same physical stature as yourself as sure. a murderer or whatever like right. there's Absolutely. less fight so there's less things getting fucked up and like, right that's right less things happening you know what i mean Absolutely. so it's like okay it's like it looks like a robbery you know whatnot so right. i mean that kind of makes sense I yeah guess. that does make sense uh and also police uh, agreed with both of these the physical and the psychological to an extent they believe that it was a man because a lot of the strangulations were done by hand and police absolutely couldn't believe that a woman had the strength or the hand girth to to strangle these women elderly fine but still I that mean, takes a lot like a larger hand to like grasp takes a lot them. exactly so this is what really got me is that as if it wasn't already confusing enough they have a psychological a physical profile they kind of go together but they kind of conflict each other and they have really nothing else to go on except for this they now uh refer to the the criminologists that were in the police department and i learned um i listened to the last podcast on the left they covered this uh, a year or two ago and i never found this in my research but according to their research one of the mexico city police criminologists like worked for the police department in mexico city their grandmother was one of the victims who got murdered oh shit so they were saying that that could have also been a reason that police were more kind of on top of this than other investigations i mean that's kind of typical yeah you know i mean, mean that makes sense to me. it's like hey what's up right so these criminologists that uh, weighed in on the case, they said the killer, again, most likely a man with confused sexual identity who was abused as a child by an elderly relative. And these killings were a way of channeling his resentment towards innocent victims who stood in for the person that abused them. Makes sense. I, that seems viable to me. Kind of serial killer shit, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but realistically, whether it was the eyewitness accounts, the criminologist the Mexican Department of Justice that came up with the psychological one. This is all just speculation. All around confusion. They don't know what the fuck's going on. Exactly. It's just speculation. They're kind of looking in all these different directions. They had no concrete, like airtight evidence or conclusions about who this person could be. They didn't even know what gender. I mean, like they were saying it's a man, but there was still the possibility that it was a woman. Exactly. So, Authorities were grasping at that straws. That kind of like extends your suspects by like everybody. A lot. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, you've got to chop it in half. It's a man <laughs> or a woman, but like it's, it, it could be anybody. It could know? be anybody. So they were grasping at straws. And, and the public is still angry because as this investigation is going on, this was also something that was, that was new. Little old sweet Mexican grandmothers are getting killed. Like exactly. everybody's pissed. You know exactly. What I mean? And so what, what I did read um, that. Generally, with any investigate murder investigations, whether it be a serial murder investigations, even if they didn't acknowledge it as that or whatever in Mexico, they almost always, I don't want to say always, but I feel like it is always, had investigated after the fact. Like the killings were done. There was no actual killings happening at the time. One person was murdered or several people were murdered and then they were investigating. This is the first time, I believe, that they were investigating an an active 
ongoing. Ongoing. It's like, hey, murders. we're looking at this one. There's another one. And then know? somebody else is murdered. Exactly. So they were getting desperate because the public was so upset and everybody was so scared. And this kind of led to some sloppy police work. Numerous innocent people were picked up and or arrested throughout the course of this investigation. Um, a few examples, there was a nurse who loosely resembled the composite sketch that police were driving around with on their car. She was at the bank one day, like banking, and police pulled her out, paraded her in front of everyone on the street, like made a big show of taking her to we the police. We got her. To, yeah, exactly. And then realized, no, we didn't get her and we have to let her go. The eyebrows are different. Let's <laughs> yeah. let her go, you know. <laughs> and then there was um, a burglar, somebody that was robbing houses in the area, that they were like, oh, this is it. And they arrested him. And nope, he was not a murderer, just a burglar. Do you know what happens if like a burglar robs your house? What happened to you? What would happen to me if a burglar robbed my house? You got burgled. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. I have heard that. <laughs> um, so there was, there was a handful of other innocent people that were brought in and then incorrectly arrested and had to be let go. But the population that was most targeted by the police for months, if not over a year, were, were cross-dressing prostitutes. So men dressed as women who were prostitutes. I did see several articles that called them transvestites. I think that's kind of a... Um, passe term to use now or just kind of offensive term yeah. perhaps yeah uh, and so they, the police spent months and months and months literally focused on cross-dressing prostitutes that's all that they were bringing them in like one by one every week narrows your focus on figuring the fuck out exactly you know? so it a hundred percent did because ultimately none of that ever led anywhere. They're bringing in for months. I mean, that's a long time to focus on one group of people when you still have little abuelitas being murdered. This is such, I like this kind of story because you know, it's always like the husband or the wife or the boyfriend, you know, it's like, it's very simple. And like homicide that it's like one murder. It's like, okay, who's close? Like what are you doing? Right. But it's random like this, like where the fuck do you look? And you yeah, and you're frantic because the public is freaked out. Yep. You have to do everything. You're so, oh, look at me. I'm arresting all these people. Like, right. where'd it go? Like, yeah, we don't have. We went nowhere. It turned out that wasn't the person. Exactly. You know I mean? So, as I said before, beyond the eyewitness descriptions and the, the kind of speculative profiles that they were going on, there was very little else to go on because little evidence was left at the scenes. And it was also still early days of DNA. And I, truthfully, I should know this because me and Jenna have talked about it a lot. I don't even know if DNA was happening back then. Oh, in 2003, I'm sure it was. Okay. But it was still not as advanced as it is today. However, yeah, either way, there on, was... It depends on their labs and everything. Well, right. And like how they exactly. collect samples, you know what I mean? Like, what really accelerated DNA and everything is the procedure of... You know, there's been so many times in crime scenes they're like, you know, people rush in there and it's like, what's up? And they're like, everybody wants to get involved. And it's like, ah, you're kind of like diluting samples. Like, we don't know what's going on. And plus, as far as I've heard, it's not a sexual crime. It's not like that. It's just like a right. straight up, like, somehow strangling. Like, right. With some, with There's the, less with bodily fluid. With a beating, you know. Right. And like I said, like, less struggle. Like, you don't get... As like, much evidence left behind. Right. It's just like if you're if you're attacking a much lesser person, like... 
There's not as much fight. Not as much fight. Yeah. So like very not little as much DNA hair or left, blood or sweat left or whatever. by the sure. assailant. You know? Sure. Is that really how you think that crime scenes go? Like everybody walks in and is like, what's up? I want to be involved. And then they're stomping all over the crime That's scene. not what I think. But I think <laughs> I think in every, I'm sorry. every situation in the world, there is carelessness. You know what I mean? Of course. Like to it, some degree. Like there's a statistic. Like, you know, it's like surgical instruments get left into people. Yes, I do. Because someone's not paying attention. I do know that. I do like, know. Oh, shit. <laughs> there's a scalpel inside of me. It sucks. <laughs> okay. So. Police decided instead of looking for what might have been left behind at these scenes, because there wasn't much, they were going to focus on what was missing from the scenes. Because remember I said, after every um, abuela was killed, seemed like a robbery. There was a robbery to some degree. So the, the killer burglarized each of these victims home after they were done killing them. They never seemed to take much anything that was of much value, though. So the most frequently missing items were like trinkets or tchotchkes, you know? You know what that means, tchotchkes? Yeah, trinket. Okay. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So it was pretty difficult to kind of classify the significance of these items because it's like little figurines or a book or, you know, just little. that's such serial killer shit, you know? Like I took like the necklace that she never wears or whoever, you know what I mean? That's true. But the police are looking for a connection. Like are, are they taking the same thing from every home uh, and there really wasn't, except for they did notice that a lot of the things that seemed to be missing had some kind of religious meaning. So crucifixes, Bibles, uh, cross necklaces, rings that were religious um, or had the images of saints on them. And so police were thinking, okay, well, maybe this this could be like a trophy, you know, that serial killers take like one thing or something. I mean, I've seen a lot of shows. Of course they yes, do. You know? right. So that it could be that. And it could also be that the that maybe this killer is a person of faith and they feel like if they take some of this religious stuff from the home, it's going to help kind of um, cleanse them of their sins yeah. or something like that. Sure. I mean, maybe. Uh, it's a funny profile, but like it is true that like you're also dealing with a psycho, so it's like you're just trying to like work through their brain. Right, that's a good point. That's a really good point, actually. Like, how do you work through a psychopath's brain? Because if you work to logically, you'd be like, eh, "No, this makes none sense, of it you know? makes sense," and it kind of didn't. It wasn't. Bottom line, it wasn't much to go on until police made a connection between three victims who otherwise seemed totally unconnected. Of course, outside of the fact that they were elderly women living alone who were grandmothers. They noticed that each of them owned a print of an 18th century painting called Boy in Red Waistcoat by French artist Jean-Baptiste Gruez, or Gruez, I don't know how to say his name. Police were convinced that there was some significance to the it's fact... It's the French connection. <laughs> For those of you listeners know what I'm talking about. You know, It's like Gene Hackman and shit. Go ahead. So they were convinced that there was some significance. And and whether they were convinced or not, they really wanted to believe it. They were like, we have to find it. This, the only this has a connection. Thing they had, you know? Exactly. It was the only thing they had. At this point, how many murders were there? I, I don't know exactly at this point, but more than 17. It's going up 17 now. and only three had the same photo? Well, seventeen. it was 17 in 2003. I believe the next year it was 22. That's and an so we're going killer. in. Yes, an active. So we're we're well into now 2004, 2005. The the timeline is gray to say the least. But 
So they wanted this to be true. They really did. And they spent weeks and weeks and weeks searching for like, did they get it from the same art dealer? Are they so? But what's weird is that the painting was left there. It wasn't taken. It wasn't like the person stole this painting from all three people. It was, it was just, just that every, all three people had that in their home. But three out of the 17? like Three out of the 17 plus at this point. It didn't matter. This They're was nothing. Grabbing it. They're yeah. grabbing it. They're grabbing it straws. <laughs> yeah. like, ah. This was nothing. It was either, they decided it was either a red herring that if the killer was very smart, that the killer like planted this to... To like throw police off. Oh. Like maybe if I put this painting in each of their homes, they're going to notice, they're going to think, and they're going to go down this road, which they totally did. But, or it was just a coincidence. Just random photo. Right. Jenna wouldn't say there are no coincidences. She would say there's just synchronicity if she was here, but she is not. Synchronicity. All right, that is the end of part one. If you guys want to find out what happens in the rest of this story, you will have to tune in next week to part two. Indiana's whining in the background. She's very upset about a part two also. (laughs) If you want to hear the entire episode right now, you can head over to our Patreon. We thank you guys so much for listening and we will be back next week. Thanks, guys. Death by Southwest is hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Executive produced by Margot Carmichael. Produced by Jenna Schneider. Audio editing and sound design by Margot Carmichael. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign-off phrase, good night and good luck. Good night.